My name is Phil Lightstone. I'm a general aviation pilot with over 2,100 hours in my logbook, flying almost every week with over 30 years experience in the technology and aviation industries. We're here at uh, Oshkosh Air Venture 2023 with a very cool person at the Avolution booth here at Vendors Row with Dr. Anita Sengupta, founder of uh, an interesting company called Hydroplane, working on really the next generation of technologies to create a much safer world, hopefully my grandkids, uh, not that I have any grandkids just yet. But welcome to uh, Plane Talk, Dr. Sengupta. Can I call you Dr. Anita? Of course. And just, I, it is, it's also a little hard for me to hear too next to that thing. So I'm just going to get a little closer Sorry. to you. That's Sorry, okay. what was that? It's a little hard for me to hear. That was a fan. bad joke. Okay. <laughs> um, telecommunication industry, bad joke. Got it. <laughs> well, again, welcome to the uh, Plane Talk cockpit. Tell us uh, a little bit about Hydroplane. Sure. So I founded Hydroplane in the summer of 2020. Um, my goal was to decarbonize general aviation, starting with an electric propulsion platform based off of hydrogen to decarbonize small aircraft, but make it modular so that we can decarbonize vertical lift platforms as well as larger single engine aircraft and twin engine propeller driven aircraft. You've got quite the interesting aerospace uh, background, being a, a PhD, aerospace engineering had some of the coolest jobs working at NASA 16 years with the electric propulsion folks for the uh, space for spacecraft and getting to involved with the Mars project how fun of a work environment was NASA so work, so I worked at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is kind of known for being the robotic space exploration center um, of the agency. And you get to do really complicated problems and do it on other planets. I think that's what makes it a lot of fun. And, and it trained me to develop very complex systems and do them well and understand all the physics behind them. Uh, so it kind of set me up for doing a great job as an entrepreneur in this space. And then completely thinking outside of the box to get to Mars and deal with technologies of bajillion miles away from uh, from planet Earth. Yeah, and I would say the big challenge of space program technologies is you have to design them to be very robust, very reliable, work the first time in an extreme environment. And so if you can design a system for that type of environment, then uh, it translates to developing good technologies here on Earth as well. So with your background, you're look and starting up hydroplane, you're going, oh, this is like super easy. It's so much easier than technology is living on Mars? I would say the to develop something which is going to be used on Earth is easier in the sense that you can test it again and again in the actual environment in which it'll be flown. What's harder is that when you're not a massive government agency, you don't have an infinite budget, you don't have like thousands of people and expertise to pull from, you kind of do everything yourself, so that's what makes it harder. Well, yet. Don't <laughs> have yet. And bringing it back, uh, back to home, getting your license in 2001 and your commercial rating in 2022... I mean, you understand the environment more than the average uh, developer. For sure. I mean, having the background as both an aerospace engineer and as um, a commercial pilot, I'm also a pilot with the Civil Air Patrol, I kind of understand exactly the physics behind what's needed and also the end user, the operator, what they need to feel comfortable flying a different propulsion system than they would be used to. So tell us uh, a little bit about the propulsion system on your chair. 
So we are developing a uh, modular power plant, uh, 100 kilowatts to 200 kilowatts of power, which is you know roughly 160 to 270 horsepower. It is based off of hydrogen fuel cell technology. So hydrogen fuel cell technology, one of the ways to describe it is like a hydrogen ion battery. It provides electricity to an electric motor, and that electric motor then spins the prop. So you're still generating the same amount of thrust that you need uh, to lift your aircraft off of the ground. So from the pilot's perspective, the performance will be better. It'll be very, very quiet because it's an electric motor, and it'll be very fuel efficient because the electrochemical process is way more efficient than the combustion process. So as a complete neophyte to your world, how much does hydrogen cost? So that is a difficult question to answer because there's different types of hydrogen. So there's gray hydrogen, which is hydrogen which is produced from reforming hydrocarbons, which means obviously it's not carbon emission free. That's relatively cheap. That's probably like between $1 to $2 per kilogram. There's then blue hydrogen, which is hydrogen which is produced by hydrocarbon reforming, but the carbon is captured in a different way. That's more expensive. And then there's green hydrogen, which is hydrogen which is produced via electrolysis, and the electrolysis gets its energy from green electricity. And that can get closer to, you know, uh, 4 to $5 a kilogram. So it really depends upon the source of your hydrogen, but ultimately, to decarbonize aviation, we want to produce more green hydrogen. And the good news is there's a lot of efforts underway in both Europe and in the United States at the federal level to generate more green hydrogen. For our pilots to understand that a little bit better, in your Cherokee, how many pounds of hydrogen and how far will that take you? So we're designing for roughly 25 to 50 kilograms of storage of hydrogen. I apologize, I say everything in kilograms because that's what we designed the system, which will give you basically the same endurance, uh, which is three to four hours. And so right now, it's probably less of a cost of hydrogen, right? The hydrogen infrastructure is still in the early stages. Good news where I live in California and Los Angeles, there's actually hydrogen fueling stations everywhere. Um, Same thing in Northern California for people who drive fuel cell cars. I drive a fuel cell car myself. So it isn't too much of a stretch to be able to have that same hydrogen truck that goes to the gas station to come to your local airport and refuel you. And it solves a big problem on the electrification side of beefing up airports that typically don't have a ton of megawatts coming on to the property because they don't need it. Exactly. And so whenever you're providing or making a new energy infrastructure, you do have to think about how to best implement it. And I would argue for something with a high operational efficiency, such as aircraft, you don't want to sit on the ground for an hour and charge your airplane. And in general, battery power doesn't provide you long endurance. It only provides you know 30 minutes to an hour of flight. So hydrogen is where you can actually get to the same endurance for your you know 100 LL you know Jet A type system. So folks that are doing the math in their head are going, okay, so let's say I got 30 gallons, $5, $150 to uh, fill my legacy Cherokee uh, versus we'll go the gray just for fun, $2, $25, so 50 bucks. In California, it's expensive, though. California, for, for 100 LL, I think it's still close for like $6. Yikes. Uh, yeah, so it, maybe everything's cheaper here in the Midwest or in Canada, but in California, everything's expensive. <laughs> well, it, where I'm from, it's like, so I filled up uh, Sunday morning, $3.15 a liter, not a gallon. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's closer to 13 bucks. Okay, so 12. you spend more. Um, Way more. Yeah, okay, got it. But I think the argument behind hydrogen, though, is that you actually can, um, you're a lot more fuel efficient. So if you take a look at the equivalent weight 
of the fuel, um, right? Because we're going between gallons and kilograms. It's actually about um, you know one half to one third the weight. So you end up actually needing to use less fuel because you get the electrochemical efficiency um, of um, hydrogen. Just in fact that you're not combusting it and dissipating a lot of the energy as heat, um, and also the fact that the fuel doesn't weigh as much. So I'll say that a different way. You can actually put four adults and full luggage into your Cherokee and fly for three hours. Yeah. yeah. I Which is a completely different paradigm. It is. It is. And, and I think, you know, the goal too is to get it into larger and larger platforms. So when you're talking about like twin turboprops, um, you know, larger regional carrying platforms, then you get tremendous uh, fuel cost savings because you carry less fuel. And the goal, of course, is hydrogen is early in its stages as being developed as an energy carrier and the infrastructure behind that. But there's massive initiatives underway of the federal government in the U.S. and the European Union to drop the price of green hydrogen down to $2 a kilogram. So when that happens because you're generating more green electricity, then all of a sudden now you actually have way cheaper fuel cost per mile than you would in any other form. I would think that the airframe manufacturers that are uh, building electric aircraft, they're going to be a, a little agnostic to are we putting in a whole whack of lithium batteries or hydrogen? Well, and actually, so this is the funny part is that a hydrogen fuel cell doesn't weigh that much, right? So if you want to go longer distances with battery-powered aircraft, you have to carry more and more and more batteries, and they are incredibly heavy. And to be honest with you, they're not that safe. Right, lithium-ion batteries catch fire all the time in, in ground applications. Something catching fire in the air is even worse. So when you have a fuel cell, you only carry one fuel cell. The rest of your energy storage is stored in tanks that weighs so much less. Do you think that using your crystal ball, that hydrogen is the way of the future? I do think hydrogen is the way of the future for a certain class of vehicles. That includes trucking, includes rail, includes buses includes the Hyperloop and also includes aviation because they're all very similar in terms of their peak power requirements and the fact that they need large amounts of energy because they go long distances. So is it fair to say that you're the hydrogen queen bee evangelist? Yes, I think so. And the other reason why I really love it is it's such an elegant solution, and it was actually developed for the space program. So hydrogen fuel cell technology was developed by NASA, used on Apollo, used on the space shuttle as their primary energy storage system because it's so efficient um, in terms of its uh, power per unit weight, its energy per unit weight. And the only byproduct, of course, of um, hydrogen fuel cell is water, liquid water. And very pure liquid water. Yes, completely uh, distilled and deionized. <laughs> Amazing. We wouldn't really say that this is a new school tech. It's very old school, as you said, mature, starting with the Apollo program going back to the 60s. So there is a slight difference when you use fuel cell technology in space in that it's not an air-breathing system, so you have to carry an oxygen tank, and then it, therefore it's optimized in a different way. But for it being used for ground vehicles, they've been around for you know over a decade now. Obviously, there hasn't been that much uptake because of the fact that infrastructure investment has only started recently. But, but it is well known in terms of the physics, and there's a lot of research in the area to make it more efficient in terms of electrically. And one of the things that we're doing is making it dur- more durable for reliability for aviation and also making it lighter weight, which is good for aviation. And then, as you said, without the requirement of, uh, of oxygen systems, uh, from a space perspective, it's an even simpler system. It is. So basically, it's an air-breathing system. And so all that's required for the aviation application is an air compressor. So as you're going up in altitude, you need to run the compressor at higher pressure ratios to pull in the amount of oxygen required to complete the oxidation reduction reaction. 
how goes the pesky certification process with the FAA folks? So we did submit our experimental R&D certificate request just about two months ago. So we're obviously waiting to hear back on that. But in the meantime, we have the aircraft uh, fully integrated and we did our first um, low power and medium power taxi tests um, in a stationary environment on the ground at our hangar in the desert in Los Angeles uh, just about a few weeks ago. I do have an, a new system integration video that I'll be sharing at the talk this afternoon and that will be up on YouTube shortly thereafter. So that must have been a huge milestone. It was. It was really exciting. And what's so amazing about it, it is so efficient, right? The amount of power that's required to produce the amount of RPMs is much less for the electric um, system. And also, it is incredibly quiet. You don't really hear anything. So one of the things that people don't like about small aircraft and aviation in general is the noise pollution aspect. There is no noise pollution when you have electric propulsion. Amazing. So we can really see that future OEM aircraft manufacturers building new hydrogen-powered aircraft, but what about the legacy environment? Well, so this is our business model, is actually to support um, legacy companies, right? Is to support pre-existing aircraft. So our hydrogen fuel cell power plant is a drop-in replacement for your internal combustion engine. So if you've got an older Piper, an older Cessna, an older Cirrus, you can put in our power plant instead once we go through the STC process. So this doesn't actually require any change to the airframe. We're not making any modifications to the structure of our Piper, for example. And the system is small enough that it can fit um, within your existing um, engine compartment bay. Absolutely amazing. In fact, make your airplane inherently lighter. Uh, airframe certification than the STC of the aircraft you can now put more people, more luggage, more stuff, convert half the fuel tank to another in-wing baggage compartment, etc. Yeah, so basically we wanted to maintain same gross takeoff weight limitations, same uh, center of gravity, moment envelope of the aircraft, um, and give people the same range and payload capability that they already have. So have you been sharing your R&D efforts with companies like Cirrus and Dehar and... Piper. Since we chose to start off with a Piper platform, but obviously we are a company, so we're going to uh, work with them as part of the STC process, but ultimately our business model is to sell our product directly to them, um, the aircraft manufacturers, as well as directly to the pilot um, owner-operator community. I promise I won't tell a soul. <laughs> so is there like an M700 on the drawing board? Put in your system. This is the reason why startups are so important. The startups are the ones who actually will push the innovation from our uh, level first. And then once we've de-risked it for everybody else, then all of a sudden they'll start putting it in. So that's typically the way it works, unfortunately. Um, otherwise, you would have seen probably more innovation from all the big aerospace players over the course of the past 30 years. And there hasn't been a lot. So that's why we exist, is to de-risk the technology and get it into the existing um, aircraft as a clean, emission-free alternative, which makes people feel better about flying. Understanding you are a startup and so much to do with so few hands, what's on the, excuse the pun, the horizon for hydroplane? So after we do our flight demo, um, basically this summer or in the fall, whenever we get our R&D certificate from the FAA, we'll open another fundraising round. And that new fundraising round will allow us to start the STC process um, with the FAA. And we're also looking to do a larger electrification project on a larger single engine aircraft or on a rotor craft. We are still under our second Air Force contract, so we're part of the Agility Prime program, and our flight demonstration is part of the Agility Prime program. And then we're also looking to um, start an initiative in Europe. 
actually, to do an electrification project there, and even potentially Canada. So, Once you get your second round funding, looking for that larger airplane, need to bring it back to Apollo. Our friends at Rockwell Collins, part of that whole process, perhaps think about a Rockwell Commander single-engine aircraft back from the, built in the 70s as that next platform. Single-engine, retractable, built like a Sherman tank, military-grade, and that would be kind of a cool, uh, you know, next demonstrator. It would be, and, and we're, we're really looking at what would be the best platform from a real estate perspective. So other examples that I think are a good fit, too, are like the uh, Kodiak, Cessna Caravan, um, something where there's a, a good distribution of, uh, of um, real estate that we can put more tech, more hardware, right? Because we can't just have a single stack at that point. We'd have to have more than one stack because of the higher power requirements. There's so many options out there for us to do this. And we ultimately want to work with partners to make this happen. And, oh, we also have another initiative that we're just starting, uh, which is with the California Energy Commission. It's called the Cal Testbed Program. So we're taking our power plant and testing it in the National Fuel Cell Research Center at uh, UCI Irvine um, to actually subject it to a simulated flight environment to understand how it uh, performs as exposed to temperature changes, as exposed to altitude changes, uh, because that's one of the best ways that you can certify something is actually to test it on the ground in a simulated environment because you can put more sensors in there and things like that. So we'll understand the physics behind its degradation in flight. Well, doctor, thank you so much for being part of the Plane Talk podcast. It's completely an interesting fireside chat. Any final words for the audience? Oh, yeah. So um, please do follow us on our social media. So we're on Instagram and we're on Twitter at Hydroplane Arrow, all one word. I'm basically releasing a series of short videos that I've taken from our system integration um, setup, as well as all of our ground testing and our flight testing. That's the best way to see us and follow us. Super. Again, thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Plane Talk. If you have any ideas for a future Plane Talk episode, please go to the Contact Us page at plaintalk.ca and send in your idea. Don't forget to like us at plaintalk.ca, our Facebook and LinkedIn pages, and this podcast. And never stop living the dream.